Hey everybody, this is Jeff Britton. I'd like to welcome my good buddy Ken Macklemore from Liberty Live Church. Good afternoon, Ken. How you doing today? Jeff, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You bet, you bet. And we want to thank our audience today as well. Today we're going to talk about the theology of missions and we hope that the the 2414 leaders, students, parents, any of the, the ministry partners we have, as well as the general public, enjoys some of the things that Ken's going to talk to today around the theology of missions. And so, Ken, you know, to get to start us off, why don't you just define theology for us? The, right? Wow. And, you know, okay. That's a big one, man. I mean, yeah, you talk about the theology of missions, one. we got to know okay. what's up. Right? Some, some of you guys that really know this more is basically understanding what the Bible says about missions. You got and, it. of course, we know that the word missions is not in the Bible. We know that, but it's a word that we have to really capture what God's doing in outreach to the people around the world. So yeah. that's basically it. So we want to understand what God's saying about it. And you, you mentioned the word word, right? So the word for missions, mission really isn't in there, but I know that there's a word for nations that's in the Bible. Yeah, that's right? key to our theology of missions, Jeff. Uh, you know, if you look in the Old Testament, there's a couple of words that that is kind of referred to or translated into the English Bible, nations. Uh, it's the word goy or goyim, and it means a grouping of people. It really doesn't mean uh, countries. That that's the that's the hardest thing. Uh, it doesn't mean countries. As a matter of fact, one time I had a mentor named Dr. Jim Slack. He's passed away now. He he was so gracious, poured his life into me. Uh, Jeff, I met him. He was a strategist for the IMB for about 50 years. I met him, and I said, Dr. Slack, how do I learn from you? And he said, you know what? I'm going to be home for a couple of years. I don't, I'm not traveling much, and so why don't you drive up here and I'll pour my life into you. Mm. And so he did. I'd wow. drive up there one day a month and he'd put the whole day into me just teaching. And, and, and you know, he, he really pointed out to me that this word nations, it's translated in the Old Testament, or goyim, or sometimes it's am, which is translated peoples. It means a grouping, a language group. It has nothing to do with countries. And you know what? Jeff, I asked him one time, I said, Dr. Slack, why don't they just translate it ethnic group or people group? He said, you know what? We tried to go to a couple of translators and ask that question. And they said, you know what? We'd be run out of town if we tried to do that. Because for so long in the English Bible, in the English vernacular, it's been translated nations. Well, we, we always assume that means geopolitical countries. Great. United Nations, right? United Nations, yeah. <laughs> right. But you know what? What I ask our students sometimes is, so, okay, so what does that mean when you talk about the country or the nation of Yugoslavia? It's not here anymore. Right. You know, it's been divided up into Croatia and Bosnia and all that. You know, so, you know, geopolitical lines change. But nations, as in ethnic groups, doesn't change. And so that's a key word that we try to help them understand. And, and, and Jeff, here's what we also want them to see about that word nations and about this whole idea of people group. It's throughout the scripture. It is the one of the primary threads, starting in Genesis 12, 1 through 4. And, and the verses I like to use, which there's many more, we teach the student, we go into... First Chronicles 16, 24, which basically says, I want to be glorified among the nations. And really what God's saying is, I want to be glorified among all the Gentiles, among all the people out there that have different languages than you. I want them to glorify me. You know, Psalm 67, as John Piper uh, pointed out in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, it is all about God's glory among the nations. You know, that's so different from when I grew up. I thought God hated the nations. I, he didn't like what they were doing. But his goal was for those Israelites, those Israel people to be missionaries. Mm. And they refused to kind of do it. If you think about 
Jonah. Right. You know, he didn't want to go to the nations, to the people group. And so we talk about that, that word, like you mentioned, that word nations in the Bible. But it doesn't stop there. You know, it continues on into, and we start off in the New Testament with the great word, uh, I'm sorry, the great, the, the word is actually the word ethnos, which we get the word ethnic groups. That's actually, when you look in the New Testament, that's the word in the Greek. It's ethnos, it's ethnic group. So when we look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, it's basically, you know, go make disciples among ethnic groups. It's not the idea of just sharing the gospel. That's inherent in there. That's throughout the scriptures. We know that. Share the gospel with everybody. But you know what? There was a target audience <laughs> that he had. And you know what? We see that throughout the scriptures. You come into Romans 15 where Paul says, I aspire to preach the gospel where Jesus hasn't been named. In other words, he's saying, I want to go to these ethnic groups that never heard of Jesus. Well, that's kind of... And then you come on into Revelation 5.9. When you look around the throne, oh, Jeff, it's crazy. God, there's, there's four categories that he lists. You know, there's the laos. There's the language groups. There's the people group. There's four different categories he lays out in Revelation 5, 9 and Revelation 7, 9 that around the throne there are people worshiping from every different people group. And so, you know what? Most of our people don't know that. They're not taught that. Um, nowadays, seminaries teach that, but you know what? Somehow that's not getting to the pastors, to the churches. And so we want our students to learn that, guys. So when you, when you hear that, that's what we want. Final one verse, we already talked about it in the intro to, to the parents that we did. Matthew 24, 14 says, This gospel shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to the, the English word is nations. I always like to even just use the Greek word ethnos, and then the end will come. Meaning, you know what, all these people groups that need to be reached, and then the end's going to come. And so as we look at our primary task, we've got to understand that our task from the get-go, from Genesis to revelation is to take the gospel to people groups not just to countries but to people groups if it was to take it to countries we're done <laughs> right. you know we've reached all the qualifications we're done but if it's to take it to people groups then we're not done because there's lots of people groups that don't even know who jesus is or they've got the wrong jesus yeah. you know they've got the muslim the hindu version of jesus that they really don't know about his death and resurrection yeah. So, so, you know, if for our listeners out there, Ken, you said a couple things I'd like to dive a little bit deeper on. And I know our next segment that we're, we want to talk about here in a minute is what is a UPG. And this might be a good transition to that. But for the people in that are listening to the visual audience out there, if, if we, if in, before listening to this podcast, if they thought nations was the country. Right. right? So if we're starting at the country. Uh huh. And then you threw in there the word ethnos and then said ethnicities a couple times. Uh huh. The, the general population, myself included, prior to working with you, might have said that was based on skin color, right? An ethnicity might have been based on a skin color. No. And, so, and so that might have labeled a certain skin color as an ethnicity, which it's not, right? No. Because it, under a skin color, it, it could be 25 different or 5,000 different people groups. Well, yeah, right? and how do you classify skin color? It had nothing to do with skin color. Exactly. And, and you know, that that's interesting because that's a discussion that kind of applies to America right now because a lot of the American discussion is, like you said, it's around skin color. We've got to right. get rid of that. And I'll give you a great example. I go into this country that we started to work in about 20 years ago, Unreached People Group, and we did the proverbial, you know, fly out on the airplane to the bush, land on this uh, dirt runway where a goat ran out in front of us, you know. Right. And uh, we, we spent the night there a couple of nights and, and, you know, it was fascinating to me to talk to some of the people in that town. It was a village of about 10,000 people. And um, 
their skin color was exactly, exactly the same. But here's what I discovered. Some of those people hated each other because they were of a different, really, people group. So this guy's over here. I've had guys tell me in those places and in this place, they hated these people that spoke this language because, and this is no joke, a thousand years ago, their ancestors raided and took their, their kids and made them slaves. And same exact skin color, exactly. And neighbors, I mean, really neighbors, right? neighbors, right. neighbors. And you know what? We're not just talking about either a, a black skin color. We're talking skin color, my skin color. I've right. been in an African country that had my skin color. And he said, we hated them because, and this is another one. He told me 14 years ago, 14, not 14, 1400 years ago, they made us go into Islam. And now we want to have the freedom to choose ourselves. And so, you know, that ethnicity has nothing to do with skin color. They could be exactly the same, but it really has more to do around with who's us and who's them. So a lot of times that's around language. That can be around the culture and the things that they do. It can be around family. You know, they could be extended family because some of these people groups, they're not in the millions. They may be in the hundreds of thousands or just in the thousands. Right. I mean, so yeah, yeah, people group, especially, and there could be geographic still things, right? Right. Living in the, Amazon rainforest. You can, you know. Some of it could be, some of it could be, but but see, that's the misnomer because it, it it can be geographic in the sense that they're not even close to each other. So you think about it, uh, the largest population of Indians from India is in Nairobi, Kenya, and there's over. I, I've been told. I don't know. I mean, I haven't researched it, so don't check my numbers. But it's over like a million uh, Indians living in Nairobi. I know that when I went to Bahrain, there was a huge huge population of Indians that were working there. Wow. So they could be of one ethnic group and be spread out all over the world. And they're in America. They're in America. In New York, there are over 800, in New York City, there's over 800 different languages spoken. So as you can see, in a couple of countries we go to, um, they don't talk to each other. And the re- let me tell you the reason for this, Jeff. I don't want to bore people, but the reason for this is because sometimes, like I went back to, they hated each other. When the gospel goes to this people group, and I believe, obviously, this is in God's wisdom, when the gospel goes to this people group, if they hate the people group next to them that a thousand years ago took their kids, they're not going to take the, they don't take the gospel to them. They're like, we hate them. Why would we want to take the gospel? Well, that's a discipleship issue that as they grow and learn about the Lord and come, you know, they get saved, they're going to do it. But for right now, they're not. And so... So that's why we have a people group strategy trying to reach different language, ethno-linguistic groups. Yeah, so ultimately, for 2414, and in your view with missions, it's about people groups. It's about people groups. Right. And, so, and, and it's not me. It, I believe that's the scriptures. 100%. I believe that's what the scriptures teach. And I believe that's where we're missing it in churches. I really do. So one of the one of my favorite acronyms is a UPG. Yeah, and there's a bunch of there's a couple UUPGs. There's yeah. all sorts of things, right? Yeah. So what what won't you tell our audience about the whole UPG concept? Yeah, and let's, what that means. That's a great that's a great question. UPG stands for Unreached People Group, and of course this definition is not necessarily biblical. It's just through missiologists through the years came up with the definition that it is a UPG if the population is less than two percent that are christians and so in other words if it's two percent or below it is considered a upg and and why is that well the reason for that is because 
uh, they have found that through the years that if it's less than 2%, you could probably wipe out Christianity. So I'll give you a great example. Uh, a good friend of mine, Dr. Nick Ripkin, talks about in, in, the, in one of the countries he was in where there was a war and um, there was a lot going on. And once the occupying forces, I guess, that were kind of holding the, the, the different Muslim groups uh, away from uh, some of the believers, once they were removed, then it was free game on the believers. And they pretty much in this one city wiped out all of the believers in that city. And so a lot of times when we talk about the 2%, that is the amount of the people that it will take to insulate and to see that Christianity grow among there. And so that is why the 2% is so important. Term UUPG means, um, you know, UPG, there may be some missionaries and some people trying to reach them. And so that could be, uh, you know, there are some people trying to reach them. They're trying to take that 2% further. Now, a UUPG, which means unengaged, unreached people group, means that there is nobody working with them. Uh, right now, there's about 3,000, a little bit less than 3,000 people groups out there that, to our knowledge, there's no Christian, whether it be uh, from European, African, Asian, American uh, countries, there is no Christian believers working to reach them. So a UUPG, uh, UUPG, unengaged, unreached people group, means we don't have anybody working with them. And so uh, those are some of the bigger targets from some of the mission agencies that they are trying to put missionaries, uh, peoples in there, near culture, Christians, to work with them and help bring the gospel to them. All right, so Ken, you've talked about UPGs, UUPGs, it, but how does that tie into the word just reached? Yeah, that, that's a that's a big misnomer because you know what uh, I hear it even a lot in America. You know, we have unreached people right here in, in next door. Right. Well, the, you know, and I know their heart, and it's really good, and, and I know what they mean. What they mean is unsaved. Uh, they mean they're not Christians, and and we we got to reach them. I mean, we got to do it here. We got to do it there. We got to do it everywhere. But but really, the term unreached means again less than. 2% reached means the 2% are over. And, and what we're saying with that, if they're reached to people group, that doesn't mean everybody's a Christian. That doesn't mean that at all, because we know that's not, you know, according to Scripture, not everybody's going to be a Christian. But what it means is there is enough of a base in that people group to be able to take the gospel to their people group without, they, they probably couldn't wipe out all the Christians, depending on how big the people group is. You know, you're probably, if they're reached, there's 2% or above, and therefore they can do it on their own. And, and they can do a better job than we can. Right. And so th when we talk about reached, we're, we're saying they're reached, okay? Our step would be, let's move on. Right. You know, a lot of times that's what missionaries are there for. They're there to take the gospel to places that don't have the gospel. And so we're not there to try to do the work uh, we really shouldn't be there to try to be the evangelists, to be the pastors if a country's reached. That's that's kind of more of an opinion thing. Right. Uh, we can be there to do some discipleship, to help do some leader training. Of course, we can do that in a reached area. Yeah. But really, a missionary is there to try to take the gospel where it doesn't exist. And, and, and I tell you what, Jeff, some of the problem is we stay too long. We get embedded, we stay too long, and really we should probably pull out and let them have it. Yeah, it's so reached. interesting. I think a parallel would be reached and accessed. They have access to the gospel. They have access to churches. Exactly. They have access to. Exactly. And it's, you know, in America, we have access. If you look at where our church is located within a, just on the main campus at Hampton, uh, there's 14 churches down that street. Now, are all of them great and doing a good job? No. Yeah. But, um, 
you know, I mean, there's churches. Yeah. Uh, you can walk into one. You can hear the gospel. And so... Um, I've been on a trip through uh, our church into the farthest reaches of the 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 planet and there were seven or eight churches there yeah in yeah you right? know so, you know we don't I mean, Baptists we, or Catholics yeah the Church yeah. of God there's everybody out there and, and that's why one of the reasons why in, in, in this whole hemisphere and right. from the North America to South America we don't do a whole lot now we've got a guy working down in the Amazon jungle and there's a, there's unreached peoples down there. we got to be down there. he's down there man he's he's got people he they don't even know who Jesus ever was never heard the word right. so there are pockets around that we need to be engaged with but. For the most part, our work is done um, in what's called the 1040 window, and we explain that in 2414. It's a portion of the world uh, over there that that uh, spans from about North Africa all across the Asia's, you know, the stands. This is the and middle band around the world. Right? Middle okay. band, okay. not all the way around the world, though, because that doesn't come into America. Right. You're not going to come across to America. But, yeah, that middle band starting in Africa all the way across to Asia, that's where most of the 2.7 billion people reside. Yeah. So that's what we want to get across to the people and leaders. That's what the theology of mission is. We want to have a theology of mission that says we're going to go where there's little to no access because that's the priority, and that's a need right now. And so that's what we're trying to drill into our students. So I'm going to go off script a little bit, Ken. And some right. of the things you, you brought up there, I think our, our leaders and students can benefit from that you've coached me and, and our kids so far on, is that you, you talk about we've got all these resources and all these um, assets in countries that are already reached. Right. right? And so what, does, what do those resources and assets, what, what do you feel the purpose of that is? What are the versus why not? And you're with the IMB, so why not just go in there and say, "Hey, sorry, everybody's going home. We're all going to the six thousand countries." Right. right. I mean, what's the so? What's the purpose of the ones that are in the reach yeah, places? Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, they they can do discipleship, they can do leadership, but I tell you what's really exciting. Like right now, in a lot of this hemisphere, like it's talking about South South America, they're starting to mobilize, helping to mobilize those believers in those churches now to go to places in the unreached places that we can't get to. Oh. So for example, they may hate Americans in some of these places. We may not even can get in some of these countries, but you know what? Believers from let's say Cuba, they might can go into countries that are more communistic because if they have the freedom to leave Cuba, you know, they might can go into China and start some work and be a part of that because they're not Americans. And so our goal would be to mobilize those people now to say, you guys need to go. That's awesome. I've never thought about that before. I'm so glad you covered that. Yeah. It's almost like a spiderweb network of, then they might go teach people who would have access to get into other countries that they couldn't yeah. get in, that we can't get in. And you know what? They can do it cheaper because yeah. Americans are high maintenance people. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We got to have air conditioning. We got to have cars. Wi-Fi, man. We, Wi-Fi. We, we got to have Wi-Fi. We can't, I mean, right. it, it. that's one of the things that... Uh, you know, maybe we ought to do a twenty four fourteen trip is cut out the Wi-Fi, but I'm not sure yeah. parents would shoot me if I did that. Right. But you know what? They can go in cheaper. They can live in conditions that Americans sometimes, and I'm not saying all Americans, but most Americans refuse to live in. And, uh, yeah, sure. they can do it better. Well, now, one of the things I know you wanted to talk about during the theology is the primary biblical theme that a vast number of churches or pastors seldom address. What do you think that is? Yeah, that's, that's the whole idea of that the word nations in the Bible is the word ethnos. It's not the word countries. 
and that it is a primary theme in the scriptures. I mean, you can go through, and if you look up that word, you can trace a thread from Genesis 12 all the way to revolution. Uh, revolution. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> revolution in the church. Revolution in the, in the church in a good way, right. not in a bad way, but revelations. Um, in revelations 7, 9, even if you look at Revelations uh, 21, I believe it is, where it talks around all the people groups. In other words, all the ethnos is around the throne. They're up there sure. walking the streets of gold type stuff. And so uh, I think that's a theme that we're missing in many, many, many churches. And you know what? There's many reasons. I don't know. Sometimes it's pastors just don't know. Um, many pastors are very focused on their local. And there's nothing wrong with being focused somewhat on local. That's what we should be doing. But you know what? Uh, I think, I think you know, a lot of people are going to stand before Jesus. And he's going to go, you know what? I gave you all this money, all this stuff. I gave you the rich resources of America so that you would be primary leaders in taking the gospel overseas. And so I think we're missing out. And, and I think a lot of pastors think that one of the reasons why we don't do it a lot in America is because they think that missions takes away a lot of money from their new whatever they want to do, you know, like whether it's a building or whether it's a new program. And, and I think what they need to see is that if God is calling us to go to the ends of the earth. If this is a primary thing, if this is what the Great Commission is about, if this is what Paul talked about in Romans 15, if this is what Revelation is in 5, 9, and 7, 9, then don't we think that he can provide the money? And, and what I like to say, it's not an either or, it's a both and. And we have seen this at our church that, you know what, as we go to the nations, um, you know what, God has provided for home and local and stuff like that. And here's what, Jeff, here's what we also seen. And here, this is not on the script. I'll go off script too. Sure. But when I see people go to the nations, now I'm not talking about go on a fun trip overseas to places that are almost just like America. I'm talking about when they go to one country we went to in Africa, which was, you know, it's probably one of the highest concentration of unreached people groups in that portion of the world. Um, it's also one of the poorest uh, it wasn't one of the most dangerous, but they did have some times when we had our missionary had to run out because of coup attempts and all this kind of stuff. They come back way more fired up, and they become better church people. Local missionaries. They, exactly. They're like, man, I'm fired up. I saw people that, you know, I, I'm thankful. We got churches. Now, what are we going to do to keep it? You know, what are we going to do to make them grow? What are we going to do to help them here? They come back. And I had a friend um, down in Texas uh, that did an actual unofficial study and he took all the people and this is just him telling me this verbally he took the people who had been on some of their international trips and he took their giving and took everything that they were involved in before they went and after and he said there was a discernible difference in their actions after they got back from the mission trip they gave more money they got more involved and they were more ready to say okay i'm back home now what am i going to do right. you know i can go on the trip next year or i can go next month or whatever they're doing but you know what i live here so what am I going to do? So that is an unintended consequence that I think a lot of pastors miss because they think another, you know, if I could go ahead and say this, another thing about unreached people groups that I want to say and the theology of, of missions is the word safety. And that just came to my mind. A lot of people will say, is it safe? And, and I usually repeat to them what my buddy Nick Ripkin says, who lost, has lost a lot of friends, you know, uh, who's interviewed over 600 persecuted believers around the world and lost a son and lost a son. Now he didn't lose it to, he lost, he lost his son on the field, on the field. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He lost it to medical reasons. 
Uh, his son wasn't martyred in the sense of killed by others, but he lost. But he still lost a son, mm-hmm. and it cost him to be there. Mm-hmm. And people will ask him, "Is it? Uh, you know?" He says, "People say, is it safe?" And his answer is, "Where in the Bible does it say it's going to be safe?" Now, I'm not saying that we have to go out stupidly, and he doesn't say that either. That we go out like, you know, if you want to go be martyred, there's something wrong with you. Right. There's something wrong. But you know what? If we always run around in fear, there's also a problem. And so we we do go to some places that, you know, people might be scared of. We, we can't be afraid. We've got to go where God tells us to go. And I've had pastors and friends tell me of other pastors that say, I'm not going there because it might not be safe. You know what, guys? I've been all over the world. I, I've, I've been in Syria. I've been in places where there's been war. God is on the throne and he's protecting us and we don't do this with our kids in 2414 we take them to safe places but at the same time we've got to start saying you know what um, the gospel and jesus is worth taking it and taking the risk 100 and let me so, just and that's a theology of missions that i think doesn't come out and it doesn't come from pastors a lot of times it doesn't it, but it's there in the scriptures and it's loud and clear oh yeah it's loud 100 and just to clarify um when we're talking about going and places that might not be safe that's not for 2414 yeah we, no no we're no not in general, we're right? not putting, separating you know we're not stupid there. we don't want to take our kids right, but we want right. them to see some of these places yeah. and, and, but here's what we want when they come home they are so you know what they're not afraid to talk no. to muslims people people don't understand muslims are most for the most part i'm not saying that there aren't terrorists i'm not saying some of them aren't doing some stupid things but we've we've got some we got some people in the name of Christianity doing some stupid things. Correct. And I'm not saying we shouldn't guard ourselves against terrorists and all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. God's bringing them here, and he's bringing them here for a reason. And and a friend of mine, like a friend of mine said, you know what? I, I always hear God saying, oh, America, you wouldn't go to them, so I'm going to bring them to you. And we've got a great opportunity to change the world with the gospel with them coming right here. And our students, when they go through 2414, they come out. They're not afraid to go talk to Muslims. I've yeah. seen it firsthand many times. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, and one of the – maybe this should have been in the intro video for the thing. I remember one of my sons came back. And, and this, the 2414 program changed the direction of two of my three sons, right? Two of yeah. them three want to be missionaries. And um, and I remember after this program and being exposed to some of the things you just talked about, uh, my oldest came back and said he wanted to go into full-time missions. And I'm like, okay, tell me why. Tell me what's going on in your head, right? And then he said a couple things. He said they – we spend thousands of dollars over here to find what they have for free over there when it comes to the relationships, when it comes to the family, when it comes to a lot of the things and the enjoyment of the things as far as the the day-to-day culture that we visit in 2414. It's a very welcoming culture, very, yeah. I mean, walking down the street and everybody wants to talk to you and come in and have some tea and do this, that, and the other versus they have, they have, they've created happiness, not joy, the difference. They don't have the, the, the joy of, Jesus, right, right, right. Um, but but the the opportunity that those people groups kind of provide to us as well. It's a two way street, unintentionally a two way yeah, street. Yeah, it is perspective on what what we do every day over here versus what they do over there. And yeah, it's a great opportunity. Yeah. So. so those are some of the theological things. We also teach a theology of suffering. What it's what that's like. You know, mm-hmm. that's very you know that's very important in the scriptures mm-hmm. uh, you know suffering may not be that you're going to get nailed to a cross like jesus of course or get martyred but there is a suffering theology that students feel sometimes when they're they don't want to be ostracized they don't want to be laughed at well right. I, I don't want them to be either you know we got to find ways to engage the culture but 
But we don't want them jumping into the culture full force and adapting the culture. We want right. them to stand out from the culture. And sometimes that's a mental suffering. Right. Um, you know, right. So we talk about that too. Yeah, and we're going to talk about a lot of things. And so to, to wrap up the theology um, podcast, Ken, is there anything you want to leave the audience with? You know, I, I just want them to understand that that this, you know, this is not some side program in a church. It shouldn't be. It, it, it's the theme of the church. Missions, outreach, us going out, that is the central theme of Scripture. And and if we're not doing that, I, which I think is, you know, we like you said, we spend thousands. I, I would say American churches spend millions of dollars to try to get people into the church. Mm-hmm. But I think it can be a lot cheaper just to turn people into witnesses and help them understand their own theology, help them understand that Christianity is true, it is superior. It is the only way. And we can send them out for free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't cost us a dime. And so that's kind of what we're trying to teach in 2414, yeah. that their theology is superior, that they have a theology of outreach. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with spending money to do things in the church. I'm not saying don't do that. But I'm saying that we can turn our people into real, true, living witnesses. And I think that leads into our second portion about apologetics. Right. But we can turn them into witnesses for free. And that's the way God changed the world through 12 men, you know, through the ladies that were disciples of Jesus and changed the world. 100%. So, you know, we hope you enjoyed the the Theology of Missions podcast today. Some of the things we do have coming up, be sure to check out our podcast on apologetics, a podcast on mission strategy, as well as some of the other resources. Um, a, a great book by Nabil Qureshi that we go over. Uh, with our with our students as well. And so, Ken, how can they get a hold of you if they want to have, have any questions? Uh, they can call the church at 757-826-2110 and ask for Ken, the missions pastor, or they can write me an email at K-M-C-L-E-M-O-R-E at libertylive.church. I almost forgot my email, Jeff. I've got five. Got so that. that one, reach me at that one. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, great. Well, Ken, I've enjoyed the talk about theology, and, and we look forward to, to working with the students and the leaders on 2414 moving forward. All right, thank you. Thank you.